welcome to Play, Train, Grow, a podcast that asks what is life really like chasing the dream of becoming a professional footballer. In this episode, I get to chat to someone who's done that, and uh, he is also the personal development officer at the PFA Scotland. So, Chris, thank you very much for coming on. How are you? No problem. I'm very good. How are you? Oh, I'm ready to go. I've got somebody that I want to ask questions to now. So, <laughs> do you want to just start a wee introduction of yourself, kind of what you do and, and everything else in life? Yeah, so as you said, Johnny, my name's Chris Higgins. I am the personal development officer at PFA Scotland. I've done the role for nearly nearly two years now. Um, it's absolutely fluent saying that. I've been in I've not been in the office since since March twenty twenty, so it's quite scary thinking about that. But it's a job where my, my role at the PFA is to help players plan for the future um, and, and and all things in terms of employment as well. So if players are looking for a potential job for short or long term I help them with that but I mean part of it's helping players plan for the future no matter if they're 16, 17, 18 mid-20s are coming towards the end of their career so I mean I, th- I think that I can relate to the players I've obviously been there myself I mean the, the level that I played at was was mostly in the championship I played I mean I think I've played I don't know 16, 17 years in the championship so I'm I'm at that level where I was I was kind of aware at an early stage that I had to plan for the future, um, and that was around 25 years old. So I can relate to players on that. I've, I've obviously been there. I, I started off doing different things, which we'll probably discuss later. But um, and now I'm working with the PFA, which I really love the job. I'm, I'm passionate about helping people, helping players, and I could understand the difficulties that players players find, um, and I combine that alongside playing as well, which I still love. At the ripe old age of 35, I'm still loving my football. So, yeah, I keep myself busy. That's brilliant. So, what I'm planning today, if we if we manage it somehow, is to to kind of split the topic. So, I want to spend some time on your your PFA and the role and how you support players. But also, I know you've been an academy coach in the past, and having had the career in football, really interested to get your thoughts on that transition from the youth to to first team and the demands of it. But we'll start off again with your PFA. So you've you've given a, a brief sort of chat about it. What is it you love about working with it, the Scottish PFA? Well, firstly, the the, the way that the the team that we've got in in, in the office is, is very good. We're all willing to help players, want to help each other as well. Um, we're working our own kind of areas, but we cross over every day. Really, we're trying to help each other and and and, and ultimately improve what what services PFA Scotland can provide for players because we want to make sure that players have got support in, in all in all areas, whether it be contractual stuff, whether it be well-being, whether it be just uh, benefits and, and, and discounts and stuff and nights away. And, and obviously where my area comes in is, is personal development and in terms of education and, and employment and, and basically planning for for what may come ahead. It's not something necessarily you want to think about as a footballer because you've dreamt and I certainly did since I was a young kid to, to to be a professional football player and I've loved every minute of my career and I, I know that every, every person that, that gets that opportunity does because it, a lot of people are envious of being a footballer because it is such a good good job. I mean, people play it for a hobby so it's, it's, it's difficult to think about doing something else but ultimately athletes and certainly footballers are, are, are unique in terms of their career ends when they're they're mid 30s if they're lucky a lot of people at at, at that age are are on the upward spirals of of their career and they're they're starting to move up the levels but with footballers they're coming towards the end of it and that's it's a real identity change which can be difficult so I want to try and support players and, and help players prepare for that as soon as possible and it's not it's, by any means, it's not taken away from, from your focus on football and performance. Actually, studies have shown that it can actually enhance your performance as, as, as doing something alongside your, your your playing side because it can maybe take your focus away from, not your focus, but take away your energy. And because and, 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 sometimes football, can you can get wrapped up in it and it can be really difficult, especially on the days when you, you don't have good performances and, and you're having a, a difficult time of it. And I've been there myself, but if you've got something else to take your mind away from things that can actually refresh your, your mind and go, and go again in, in your football and, and off the field as well so it's something I'm very passionate about because I, I want to help people but I know that the difficulties that footballers have got in the face coming towards the end of their career and as I said I want to try and help players prepare for that 
as soon as possible, and that whether that be twenties or whatever, just just whenever they, they they want to look into it. And how how do you go about providing this support? Is it phone calls, emails, webinars? Do you drop into clubs? How do you go about it? Well, pre-COVID, the world's changed massively since since COVID nineteen hit. But pre-COVID, we we as a, as a union, we went to, to out to we done club visits. So we usually tried, albeit we never got to have the club before COVID because it kind of finished it. Or we were COVID hit in, in February March time, so we weren't really going at clubs and also everybody's working from home and then ultimately football got stopped. Um, so we didn't get to have the club, but what usually, I mean, I, and I've been there as a player, um, where the, the, the PFA will come in and they'll discuss different topics on, that are relative to that, that time. But we go out to clubs and we, we just make them aware of what we're doing, why we're doing it, what we've done in the past and the success of what we've done. But, I mean, for example, just now we're having a transition month across, across uh, several different areas and that entails webinars, it entails running courses. Um, we're, we're going to be sending out uh, job opportunities for, for members, as well as case studies that I've interviewed with players. I've done interviews with players over the last couple of months, just to just to show the, the, the positive stories of footballers that are that are doing, are, that are engaging in personal development, and that's in the both female and, and the male game. Again, these these positive stories and positive cases will hopefully rub off in other other players and the players will sit up and go, well, if he or she can do it, then maybe I should do it as well, you know? So things like that. But, I mean, I'm, we run courses throughout the year and I just generally try and catch up with each player that I speak to, whether it be two months down the, two months down the line, I'll, I'll go back to a, an email or a message and a discussion that I've had with a player to say, how are you getting on? How you, how's your studies going? And sometimes it's maybe just give them a kick up the backside, they might be not acted on it. Um, and it's just like, oh, I forgot to do that, I'm going to start it now. Or it's just a general catch-up, just to show that from my point of view in, in education, I want to support them through their journey of, of setting career plan. Um, and, and, and But I mean, the other guys in, the, in our team and the PFA Scotland team are, are, are just trying to get out there as much as possible and let the players know that we are there as much as possible in every different department. Do you find that... Um there's a, a big difference in Scotland between the full-time and the part-time careers because, I mean, it's reasonably even or it was reasonably even until recent with the number of full-time versus part-time clubs. Do you find that you, you end up providing more support to one group or the other? Well, I, the thing, I mean, we, we want to, we, we try and engage with every 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 member, every player, and that goes from Premiership down to League 2. Um, and that, I mean, we want to try and help every player, as I said, but the a lot of players at part-time level have got jobs. Um, but so again, I've, I've had loads of cases where players are not at part-time level have not necessarily liked their job and they want to look into doing something else in um, another course or another area or basically try and help them with another job. So I think, I mean, the, the main the, the main area that players come to is from full-time because they are playing full-time. That's their only, only role when they might need to look at doing something else. And they also have the time to do something else alongside their playing side of it when they finish training, etc. But we try and we, we, we help all sorts of players across each level because, as I said, players might not like their job or they might want to combine university alongside their playing playing side at part time, but no matter what their age is. So it just really across across everything. But as I said, the main the main thing that that players come to me is, is generally full time players. But, as I said, players at a part-time level will get in touch on a regular basis. And um, do you find there's a, a stereotype still in today's day and age around being a footballer and only being a footballer? I know we've you've kind of talked about identity so far, but do you find there's still that stereotype? Well, I think I think it's getting better. I certainly do. Um, a lot of players, I mean, that. I look back at the players that I've that I've spoken to in the last two years, and it ranges from players in the, in the Premier League all the way through the leagues, you know. So it, it's just trying to provide as much information as possible to players, and try and be there to and be out there to let players know that it's okay to to plan ahead. And as I said, part of the reason that I done the case for the interviews was to show that there is players at the top level planning for the future, and it's it's okay to do that. And that again. 
they might not listen to me, but they, if they can listen to teammates that they've played with in the past, that are doing that, they might sit up and go, you know what, it's a good idea for me to do this because at some point I will need to do this um, when I when I stop playing. And is is kind of breaking that identity as a footballer, is that still quite a difficult hurdle to get over? Because even when I talk to the youngsters that I coach, even at 13 and 14, they just think they're footballers. So it's really difficult to try and go, no, hang on a minute. You're you're a person, you're a you, you know, you're Chris, you're me, you're Johnny, and you're also a footballer. Yeah, as I said, I touched on it earlier. When when you're a kid, six, seven, eight years old, whenever you start kicking a ball and you love football. I mean, generally in Scotland, that Scotland is a is a football orientated country when it comes to sport. Um, so players have dreamt of this, uh, dreamt of this day forever. You know, since I've been a small kid. And I, I, I was, it was funny. I had a conversation with my dad the other day. Um, it was my dad's birthday the other day, and when I was sixteen or fifteen, the tenth of May, two thousand. That was when I got told it was I was getting a contract, a full-time contract at Motherwell, my first ever contract, 15 years old. And I can remember going out and in the corridor with my dad and the two of us were dancing up and down, cuddling each other. And that just shows you how much it meant to me, you know. So it's very difficult to, to change that identity as, as a player because you've dreamt it your whole life. But it's just trying to trying to just plant the seeds with players that it's okay to do it and it can help. And again, as I said, by seeing your teammates around you in a dressing room doing it, that hopefully gets the message across that it's okay to to, to participate in, in setting careers planning. Yeah, and COVID's going to have a huge impact on it as well. Just, you know, you're talking about you being 16, but you're thinking of the amount of players that are hoping to get contracts and clubs doing budgets. COVID certainly had a, a bit of an impact. So would you think that because of COVID, you maybe get a bit more... Um, time to speak to people or people will be more willing just to come in and chat because of that? Yeah, well, I mean, just going back to what you said with COVID, such a challenging year for everybody, no matter if you're an athlete or not, but and thinking about it in the football terms, players that are 16, 17, 18, such a difficult year because players have went into a full-time environment for their first ever year, dreamt it their whole life, and it's been such a difficult stop-start year. But I think I think just thinking about COVID and stuff, a lot of players came to me last year just to keep themselves busy. And that's the first point. That's the first point of, point of call with myself, really. And it, it, it's great for me because I always say to players, do something. If, it, if you don't enjoy it, then fine. And in one of my case studies, a player was talking about doing two or three different courses and not enjoying them but eventually finding that niche that they enjoy. So it's, it's, it's kind of getting that message across, saying it's okay not to enjoy something. You don't need to find the, the, the final destination right away. You know, you might find you might go and do something that you think you'll enjoy and start doing it. You don't like it and go, right, put that to the back burner. I'm going to go on to the next thing. I mean, when I, when I talk about my own personal, personal development, I was, I done a personal training course back in 2011. Because um, I thought I quite like the, quite like the look of that, quite like the sound of it, and then I done my coaching badges. Went and I ended up going to uh, do a degree. This was which I finished in August nineteen, and now I'm working with the PFA. So, but when I first first had that that mindset of doing a personal training course, did I want to do that at the time? Yes, but I'm now I'm now not doing it now. And when I look looking back, I wouldn't wouldn't change that. Wouldn't change a thing. Because one, it can I start starting my mindset of I'm going to start thinking ahead, and two, it also helped me do kind uh, of work alongside my football. I, I done some personal I started on my, my own small business, um, or helping out kind of friends and stuff with personal training when when I was doing it, and it was good. I really enjoyed it, and then different things came up um, to go into coaching, and then into, into where I am now, but. The, the one thing the one legacy from my personal training is that I was able to look after myself better in terms of my nutrition um, the way I looked after myself in the gym and I'm now a lot fatter than I was when I was 25 and I'm now 35 you know because I've got a picture that sits next to me um, when I was at Clyde and that's I'm looking at it right now it was uh, when I was 20, 21 and you can see it in my face I'm a lot heavier 
and I wasn't heavy then, but but you can. Do, I mean, I look at that. I think to myself, I'm a lot fitter than I was when I was 21, and now I'm 35. You know, so that wee thing has it, helped me for all those different directions. Even though I'm in a different uh, job now. Yeah, just just doing something different seems to have just activated those uh, desires or motivations to kind of just follow a different path. It's it's a great example. That's for sure. Um, I want to ask about injury as well because I mean this is mainly an academy focused podcast and almost every kid that I talk to whether they've been successful or not has gone through injury and then you see the number of them in first teams as well so how how the how the there's great English from you right there how, how does the PFA sort of help players through that um, through injury whether it be medium-term, long-term, career-ending, whatever it could be? So the one thing that we provide for members is is the support, for, uh, the well-being support. So initially, so if a, a player had a really serious injury, a career-threatening injury, we've got support, which is confidential, um, 24-7 support. And that, that doesn't only cross over injuries, that crosses over suicidal thoughts, gambling issues, um, domestic issues in, ho- in the home, whatever. So it's a big, a big broad, broad spectrum. So that's that's a that's a good service that we provide for our members, um, and that goes from being a, a young member all the way through your career. Um, so and as I said, it's confidential, and they're, they're on the phone to doctors right away. They can get they can get one to one consultations face to face. Also, what PFA Scotland provide is is um, Hamden Sports Clinic, which is a which is the the physiotherapy for, for members. So if a member's loses their contract because of injury or they're out of contract and they're still going through their rehab, they will get that opportunity to go to Hamden Sports Clinic and it, it kind of on the tin it's Hamden. So it's really top physios and, and therapists there to, to to get you back to fitness. So that for that point of view, it helps you get back fit, but also physically fit. But also there's the flip side of it where it's it's the men- mental fit as well because having a, a, a serious injury can be difficult no matter what age you are, you know. So it's having that support off and on the pitch and, and also the support with getting your, your your injury correct, but also up up here in your head is, is, is also a massive part of getting yourself uh, 100% fit. Yeah, and it's something that's really at the, the forefront at the moment. There's been a, a couple of reasonably big incidents about that uh, recently in, in Scottish football, and it's I'm I'm delighted that it, there's you know more awareness and more people talking about the mental health side of it. Is that the, it's not the next phase, but do you think that's the next evolution of football? Is focusing just as much on mental health than your tactical, technical, physical abilities? It's certainly, it's certainly growing, like you say, Johnny. It's it's certainly getting bigger because football is yes physical, a physical game and I mean to be fair football is becoming less of a physical game because you can't tackle these days and I'm saying that as a frustrated defender who can't tackle <laughs> um, but a lot I mean a, a part of the degree that I've done was on psychology one of the modules is on psychology and it's trying to how to get into people's minds to improve them and a lot of that stuff is being mentally in a positive place in a good place because if you're mentally in a good place and then physically in a good place then it's going to only enhance your performance on the pitch you know so it's important that we provide that service and it's something that my colleague Michelle Evans she's massive on the on the, on the well-being side of, with players and as soon as anything happens with players whether it be an injury the weekend or anything any sort of um, issue She's on the phone with me on making sure that they're aware of this of the service that we provide in terms of support. But ultimately, the players can get that service for free, and they, and and as I said, it's confidential, so that players know that not nobody knows what's going on. You know, because a lot of people that's part of it where people don't want to know uh, who knows their issues or what issues they're going through because it is it's personal. But I mean, if you can enhance that and 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 have a really good mindset and positive mindset, then it can only help you as a footballer. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. To kind of round off the the first bit of this sort of episode, you talked about the research and your case studies. So is there a couple of really positive case studies you can highlight for people just to have a look at or even just to hear at the moment? Well, the first one we've 
put on, we've got five on a series to go. I'm sorry, four to go. The first one we put out was Mark Reynolds. Um, of Dundee United, who has had a great career as a captain in Dundee United, who's he was he's done it a couple of different degrees, but has been biomechanical engineering. So he got into that when he was playing with Aberdeen. Also, a big uh, Aberdeen's a big place where oil and gas industry is very, very prominent. So he got into that via um, a sponsor of of Aberdeen, which is something I'm going. I want to. What I want players to utilise is. You've got a player who's maybe interested in looking at the oil and gas industry. He's then spoken to a, a sponsor of the club who's then helped him do a course in that area and it took him six years. It was a, it was a degree that took him six years and he's now qualified in that. So it's that's that's a case of the, that Mark can, uh, players can listen to Mark what he'd done. I know that they might not be interested in specifically biomechanical engineering because it's a very complex area but hearing why he'd done it and how he'd done it and and what and why I felt it was important to him in his future because Mark's probably 33, 34 now and he will he hopefully maybe need it in the future, you know. So that's the first one that's going to come on. And as I said, there's various other other players to come up in the next the next few weeks, ranging again, ranging for different industries, because I know that players or people in general really aren't interested or fixated in one thing. We want to try and cross different industries to, to let players or members hear from players that worked across different industries. No, that's superb. So now I want to move on to the sort of, firstly, your experiences of transitioning the first team and what it was like for you. Um, Long time ago now. Yeah, I'll, I'll, <laughs> you know, I'll bring back some happy memories for you, hopefully. What was it like when you first made that jump into the first team or not even into the first team, just into training with the first team? Well, it was... I was honestly we were, I was at mother I was at Motherwell for four years and that's I played a couple of years in, in the in the under eighteen squad and I can remember I'll never forget this because my dad and my brother were well, I'm a Celtic fan and my dad and I had a, a season ticket as a as a kid before I went in full time in Motherwell and my dad and well Celtic got to Seville the UEFA Cup final uh, that year and that was. I got called up to the first team that week for my first ever appearance on involving the first team, and it was a very, very proud moment. Albeit I was, I wish I was in Seville watching Celtic, but and I'm only kidding. But I, I, I was, I was delighted to be involved with the first team. There was a few young lads involved with the first team that week, and it, I was on the bench. That was my first time on the bench, and I think I was 17, and it was, it was really good. Albeit daunting, um, because you've got senior pros in here that are. That are fit in their 30s and very experienced players, international players. So it was, you're a bit anxious, but you just you just go in there as a kid and try and do your best. And ultimately, that's that's all all they can ask for is just work harder and do your best. What was the what was the culture like? Was it welcoming? Was it tough? What was the culture like going into it? It was tough, very tough. Um, I think times have changed massively since those days and. Not necessarily. It was. It wasn't necessarily bad, but it was just a lot tougher in in terms of you'll get shouted at no matter what age you are if you don't do something right in training. Even the culture and in, in regards to doing your duties as a, a young kid, we had to do boots. We all had our specific areas in terms of doing uh, the the first teams kit and dressing rooms and balls and bibs and all that kind of stuff. So we all had our own individual areas that we had and if it, if it wasn't right we got punished for it and that probably usually meant running around the track you know um, and listen I did, I did, it was great times you know I, I would I, any any kid that's in in full time environment or even part time environment go and enjoy it soak it in and learn for the senior players because that's and, and lean on them I probably never, didn't do that enough when I was a, a young boy was was speak to the, the senior pros because I was maybe felt a bit inferior I maybe felt a bit nervous and, and and scared to ask but certainly something I look to do now is, is try and help young players and speak to them and it might be just be a five second conversation or sort of a one point but I wish I'd because I think about that as a kid maybe maybe I didn't want to ask senior players I now think as a senior player myself to go I'm going to approach him or, or, or I speak to the, the, the young player because they maybe feel the same as I did when I was a kid you know so it was, it was, I think it's a lot tougher when I was young I think any player will say that it's probably got easier since like the 60s, 70s, 80s it's probably 
I mean, players back in the 60s and 70s probably felt it a lot tougher than us. But it's probably easy now. And you probably get away with, I probably got away with more back when I was younger than you do now because obviously everything that goes on and the social media and everything. So, but it was good that I wouldn't change it for a thing because it really helped me as a person. Never mind a footballer, become more disciplined on and off the pitch. Are you able to think of things you had in your head back then that you wanted to do really well or did you have goals for the sessions or was it a case of let's just get through this and then get out of here? I wouldn't necessarily say goals. I'm probably more goal orientated now. Um, I'm more experienced and I'm older. And but I think again, there probably wasn't that that knowledge and, and that basis on being more more psychological then. Um, I don't know why. Maybe just because of the way the times are moving. I mean, at Motherwell we didn't have a sports scientist even in the first team level. Again, how times change and that's just the way generations go and and science happens and stuff like that. So. But I mean, I think it was just basically, I, I, I've always been in the mindset of I want to work as hard as I can and then try and improve. So I would I would go and I stay in Bathgate. So I'm staying maybe 25, 30 minutes from the stadium. I would go in on my days off. And and, and Motherwell, certainly, they've got the big stand behind the goals and there's a massive area up there where you can go up and kick a ball about. So I would go and do that and on my days off. And, and it, Terry Butcher was the manager at the time. And I, I know that he wasn't necessarily in on a Wednesday. But he got wind that I was doing it and it helped him kind of take to me a wee bit in, in regards to knowing that I want to be better, I want to improve. So, I mean, and that was, I wasn't doing that just to get the, the, the credit for the manager, I was doing it because I wanted to improve, you know. And I mean, my first year at Motherwell, I was nearly out the door, I was nearly away because I wasn't playing well. My manager at Motherwell was Billy Davis, the first team manager. And, and those guys left and then Eric Black came in and then administration hit. So things changed slightly in terms of the, the, the 18 squad and a lot of the first, the, guy, the, the players that were still eligible for 18s were involved with the first team. They came back down to play 18s to get more minutes and more game time, which then obviously went down odd. So for example, myself, I was, it was days that I was training with the first team when the 18s had a game. I wasn't even, I wasn't even on the bench and basically I was running I was just running after the first because Friday Friday morning with the first team was a, a light session so I would do the session with those guys and then I would, get, I would get a running session me and a couple of the lads that weren't involved so it was a really difficult time um, and it, what I made so the end of the season came and it, it, I had a two year contract and a YTS so it wasn't it wasn't a lot of money and it was, it was I wouldn't have got a leash but I was I felt like I, I'm I'm not far away here for being out the door. So that summer, I, I kind of looked at myself and, and tried to become better. And then the pre-season, following pre-season, I had a decent pre-season. Then we went a tour down south and I, I got my opportunity and I took it. And then I've looked back and I've looked back for that. I've done really well. and So it probably took for me to, to have that those moments when I wasn't playing my 18s to go, you know what, I need to get my finger out here. And... That's, that was a tough moment for me. I'm running a Friday afternoon when the boys are playing. I need to, I need to get my finger out here and start, start start improving, you know. And that's and I got us and I got I got I got, a, I got a lucky. One of the players got injured, and I got an opportunity, and then I never looked back there, you know. Yeah. So when did you ever think, no, no matter what club you're at, when did you feel you were like established and you were like, right, that's that's it. I'm a footballer now. I've got my contract. When did that? How long did it take? Was it two, three years, 18, 20? Well, I, I mean, it was established at, at, at uh, 18's level with Motherwell, but in terms of first team, it wasn't until I went to Clyde. I went to Clyde. We, Terry Butcher, I got released for Clyde after four years, eh, sorry, released for Motherwell after four years, and Terry Butcher recommended me to Graham Roberts, who was the manager at Clyde at that point, in a big transition, and uh, Clyde was full-time at that time, and playing in the championship and but they got rid of a lot of their squad and they kind of brought in loads of players at my age 1920 and in four years obviously going back to the the unforgettable beating Celtic that was we were part of that squad um, but I was there for four years and I played the 160 first team games and but then when I left Clyde and went to Dunfermline I kind of went back down in terms of being a first team regular there was international players at, at, at Dunfermline. There was senior pros, so it was, it was difficult. But 
on the flip side of that, it made me a better player. It made, it, again, there was times where I wasn't playing and I, I was, wasn't enjoying it, but it made me it made me think work harder and, and work harder to improve, you know. So in terms of going for Motherwell and then first team level at Clyde, then I came back down. I went up, I mean, I mean, Dunfermline as a club was massive at that point. They were vying for the Premier League. We ended up getting promoted. Um, but then I kind of went down in terms of my my position as a first team starter, first team regular. So that was that was difficult. But I mean, Clyde for four years was, was magnificent for for me and then in terms of my development. No, oh, it's great, and I think maybe just having all those games one after the other must be it must be great to go from 18s and trying to get on the pitch to actually just having a constant run. You must just feel must feel perfect I never experienced that I was never successful so it must be such a great feeling just to be out in the grass week after week oh definitely that's what I'm saying it, playing a Saturday there's nothing better and at Clyde Clyde were doing we, were, we had a great season as much as as we, we maybe fin- we maybe didn't finish in the league where, where we wanted to but I think we managed finished fifth at that point um, but we had a great we're all young lads most of the same our parents just, just enjoying our football and playing their freedom that we're because every, every, most of the boys in that team were in the same position myself. They'd left clubs in the Premier League to get game time, and then and then and having that that energy and freedom as a young player, everybody just kind of clicked. And I'm still good friends with seven or eight of the lads. We still can meet up two or three times a year from those days when I was 2021. 20, that's the real. That's one of the great the great things about that squad is that we're still keeping like, still very friendly with it, and that's something that doesn't happen a lot, you know. Yeah, it's great to hear. And if I kind of keep moving you through your career and relating it to youngsters coming into the first team, what were the expectations of a 17, 18-year-old, sometimes a 16-year-old coming into the first team from your point of view in your sort of mid-20s, early 30s? Well, I I mean, I probably think about, certainly at Clyde, we were all young lads, so it didn't really matter. But going, probably going through towards my late twenties when I was at Queen of the South, the young lads when they came in, were just go and play, just go, go and play with freedom. But work hard, show you that you're, you're willing to learn. I mean, listen, as I said, speak to the senior players. I was I, I was captain of Queen of the South, so I tried to help the, the young players as much as I could. It's not always as, as simple as that, but. You want to just players to come in and go and go and play with a freedom. What have you got to lose? You have nothing to lose here. You're you getting an opportunity, especially a young lad when you're 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 still staying at your mum and dad's, and there's not that that pressure of paying the bills and stuff like that. Go and play with a freedom. Go and enjoy it, and, but ultimately go and show what you can do. Um, go and express yourself. You know that's that's what it's all about. Go and put your stamp in the team. Go and show. I mean, you might you might not start every single game, but if you if you're showing that you're learning and you're developing, that time will come, certainly. Is there anything that comes to mind if I, if I say you see a characteristic or a trait that you think, hey, this kid or this youngster might have a chance? And is there a, on the flip side of that, is there sometimes you go, oh, hang on, I might need to have a chat about this? I think I'm, I'm a big person for work, trait, work hard and, and listen. That's the two main kind of non-negotiables that I would say work hard and listen to the coaches and and the and the and the senior players as well because they've been there they've been there listening to these guys and I'm not saying every senior player because some people at senior level senior player level talk a lot of nonsense as well I'm not saying every senior player talk sense but it's certainly just work hard show you want to learn show you want to improve um, and on the flip side of that probably young players thinking they know it think they know what they're talking about think they know they know it all I mean, the many young players that you've seen that are talented and fall out of the game because they don't go that extra yard. They don't want to work hard as, as hard as they could. They don't want to listen. They don't want to take things on board because they don't like being criticised. And again, is maybe that a generational thing? I don't know because when I, it's just an individual thing more than anything because when I got criticised, uh, I, th- I thought to myself, I'll show you. I'll show you how that I can improve and I can I can be the one that I w- the other player that I want to be. Whereas I've I've, I've seen players where they've been criticised and they've went in their shell and they've they've ended up falling at the game. And that's that's just life. That's not anything to do with individual. We get, everybody, it's different. So certainly from my point of view, 
take criticism on board. I think nowadays maybe criticism is is seen as a, as a very personal thing. I don't know why. It's maybe just the times that we're in, but people that are criticising you, again, it needs to come alongside positive stuff because if it's just criticism all the time, then it can be difficult, it can be hard, go hard on, hard on yourself. But if you're getting criticism, take it on board, reflect, reflect on that criticism. Why are they, why are they criticising me? But also on the flip side of that, reflect on the positive stuff. So what have I done that they're telling me that I've done well? What what, what did I do to, to get that praise? Because if you reflect on that as well, it can then improve you. So it's reflecting the criticism to go, right, what am I not doing? What am I not doing well? How can I improve it? And then reflect on the positive stuff to go, right, okay, I've done that well. How have I done it well? What have I got? What have I done uh, to, to get that praise and to do that, maybe score that goal or whatever, you know, it's, it's, it's about using both sides yet to, to improve, whether it be positive or, or negative. I think a big thing for me was what you actually talked about doing in your early years, which is doing more, just doing more. And I, I don't know if it's a, like you're saying, a little wee generational thing, maybe it's because of COVID, but I think that understanding football as well is quite important. Um, you know, you'll see some some lads who, who maybe don't understand the position enough and we're almost at a point where it has to be coach-led opposed to what you did, which was take responsibility yourself and then use the people around you for feedback. Is that something you're noticing at all or seeing? It's difficult. I mean, it is difficult because a lot of young players do get worried about asking questions, mm. certainly in a, a, a group environment. And that's maybe why myself, I like to go and speak to young players because I can understand that maybe don't want to ask that question. And But do more, it's going to be, going to be seen to, be, to, to to do an extra, to go and do extra and see if you do it to get noticed. But ultimately, it's a selfish thing. You go and do extra because you want to improve and then see if you see, see if people see that. They'll, they'll, they'll maybe have, give you that extra bit of leeway because you see, you know what, I he wants to improve, he wants to do extra. And by doing that, you ultimately will improve. You, it's, it's impossible to, to get worse as a player if you're doing extra and you're doing more. But again, ask questions, ask ask your senior players, ask your coaches, what can I do to improve? Even if you're even if you're the best player on the pitch, what can I do to improve? Because there's no player apart from Lionel Messi and Matt. And maybe I'm a, I'm a Messi fan, so I prefer Messi to Ronaldo, but there's no player in the world that apart from those two maybe, that is that is a complete player. So even if you're the best player on the pitch, ask questions. How can you improve? Think about what your, what's your video clips, watch how you've done in a game. How, ask questions of your parents or your teammates or your coaches or whatever to, to go, what did I do well? How can I, how can I improve that? Though? And it, so it's just thinking about that, asking questions, but I think by working hard and doing extra, it can only help you. I love that. Is With, with data coming in more, you know, it's starting to filter its way in. Is that something you're coming across? Is that something you see coming in? And and how is how do you see that maybe being used as the next sort of five or ten years of football evolves? Yeah, I mean, it's certainly it's certainly becoming massive. You only need to watch Sky Sports now for for data coming in on passes completed on individuals, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But I mean, I actually had I was sitting down with with uh, Tony the assistant manager at East Fife, looking at my data that, that he pulled, he got from from a, a guy that he's using for statistics and a lot of the stuff was in my in, in my categories was good for me. It was good, it was above average for the league and stuff, which is which is good. But that that only grows the years go on. How far are you running? But it's not only how far are you running, how how are you using that? You might get a player who's running eight kilometers in a game, but he's a top player. And you might get players that are running 12 kilometers in a game but it's the worst player. And it, but it's using it's, it's, it's using that data to have conversations to say, look, you're, you're the best player on the pitch and you're running eight kilometres. Imagine how good you would be if you'd, if you'd run that, done that bit extra. You know, so it's just, it's just about using using the data wisely because data can be a bit of overkill. So I think it's about using that data wisely to, to show what you're doing well, how you're doing it, but also how you can improve in certain areas um, to improve your all-round game. 
So can I just ask about when you were looking at, at your information, what was it that you took from, so you've said about, about distances, but if there are two or three, four or five things that you went, right, I'm really focusing on this? Well, a couple of things I was looking at my position in terms of what I do in a game. So I was looking at um, challenges won with, with headers, for example. I was, I was, I was, I was more, I won more this year than I did last season. Um, I can't even remember things, things like that are based in my position. So things like blocks or, or forward passes. That's what that was one of them. Where I'd made more forward passes um, than I did last season more key passes than I did last season, which isn't necessarily important as a defender, but forward passes is key passes. I don't know how that comes in, in terms of how that means in a game. It doesn't, probably doesn't mean that I've set up a goal because it really would I do that for a defending point of view, but forward passes is a good one because I'm maybe getting the ball looking forward early rather than maybe going square or back the way. So it's like that kind of thing. And, and what I looked at in terms of my distances and stuff, I looked at one of the games that I, I had um, and it, it kind of comes up with heat maps. So I would look at where my coverage is on, on, the, on the pitch. So I played left side of defence. I played left side of defence. So my, my heat map was kind of all across the back four or all across the pitch in the, in the defensive half, um, which meant I was covering the ground to help my teammates as well. And then I compared it to first and second half. And some of the games, my, my my heat map was a little bit higher, so it meant we were playing higher as a team. So that kind of stuff helps you. I mean, for example, if my heat map was all on the left side of defence, it means that I'm not going to cross at all to help my teammate. You know, so using that to see, like, well, from a positive point of view, that's good because I'm I'm covering my teammates. I'm getting across the pitch. I'm, I'm if my teammates going up for a head, and I'm getting in a good position to cover, and also. Maybe the, maybe the first half, I w- the back four wasn't high enough, but the second half, it did get that bit higher. So it's about playing higher and and, 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 and seeing that, how that helps the team. Yes, I love hearing like, real, cause it, real in-game examples because, like you said, there's so much of it going around. You're, it's hard to, to focus on it. But, yeah, it's nice having those those ideas and... What's also come to mind is is I don't know matching it with what I when I'm coaching the kids about their super strengths. So you've got one or two or three super strengths that are the thing that are going to take you to the next level. You know what are you best at, and I think that might fit in really well for what you're saying about heat maps or pass completion. It's uh, yeah. it's really I mean, there was th- there was some things that that were for example one of the things that I'd done less of this season was dribbles. Now that's I'm not a winger so. It's not like I'm doing 10 or 15 dribbles, or maybe not as much as that, but maybe 10 dribbles a game. But for example, maybe maybe the season before I was driving out to the back more than I did this season. And that was something that was down. And again, I was looking at the positive stuff that I'd done and I was thinking, right, okay, that's good. I want to keep that up. But I was also looking at the stuff that I've maybe not done enough of. And I think dribbles out to the back, maybe next season I need to do that more. I mean, we get the ball and we get the space, I drive into it and then I make a pass for there. You know, so it's just about assessing the assessing the data, looking at both sides. Yet, I mean, there's no point in looking at the data and saying, "Oh, look at all that good stuff," and then not worrying about the the, the negative, and then vice versa, looking at all the negative and not looking at the positive because you can get dragged down with the negative stuff as well. So it's about looking at that and a fine line to go: what have I done well? What have I done not so well? How can I improve both sides yet to ultimately become better? Yeah, it's great. And if I ask you to put your, your old academy hat on, one of your, your hats we're talking about here, um, what did you enjoy about that academy side of it? You were coaching, I think, what, for, I think me, if I remember you from the sidelines, it would have been about 16 stage group, 15, 16. Yeah. Work Six, yeah, yeah, 15, 16. Brilliant. It was really good for for me as a coach. I, I mean, I, I, I was doing my A-licence when um, one of the guys at Hearts asked me to go in and help out and it was it was perfect timing, really. To be honest, um, I, as I said, I was doing my badges, and I needed that. I needed that next step to go and can implement it. It's all all good and well doing your 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 coaching badges in theory, because in theory the game is simple, but we all know it's not. So to go into to go into Hearts in such a big club was it was a great opportunity for myself, and I was really lucky to to get that opportunity to for, to be there for four years, and I still keep in touch with the the academy director, Roger, at Hearts, and it's something that I would maybe go back to in the, in the future when I stop playing. But 
it certainly helped me as a coach and I, I done I, I was very thankful to Hearts to help me with, with going through a, a degree which was called developing athletes which again helped me become a better coach as I said you do all your badges and the theory it's, it's great but I had to do research and different coaching methods and different coaching techniques on psychology which we spoke about earlier different things that, that maybe players don't don't understand or, they, or maybe I can help players in terms of their mental side as well so for, for being there for four years it was fantastic for myself and it was a, it was a real good environment to, to go and, and coach in Yeah so I'm, I'm wary of time so I'm going to try and wrap up on this huge question I'm about to fire at you with, with all your experiences with everything you're doing if I was to, to just make an academy from scratch and say right Chris I want you to to plan the 17, 16, 17 to 21 transition into the first team, what would you look to implement are the foundations of this brand new academy that we've just plucked out of nowhere? <laughs> well, first of all, you need to get, get players in, you know, it's all about good players and, and, and then kind of putting the fundamentals of how you want to coach these players. So, I mean, it's, Looking at different, looking at different aspects of the game. So, for example, attacking, defending, switching the play, playing out from the back—all these different kind of things that you need to learn. Um, and then get, getting getting the other side, the kind of all-round side that you need. You need the sports science these days. You need the data, that stuff that can help players. You need the psychological stuff. You need the the, the good nutrition. Um, all that kind of stuff helps you become a better player, but. Also, I like, I'll, I'll go back to when I was a kid, I like doing my duties. I like it because it made me a better, it made me a better person. It made me very disciplined. Sometimes I'm a bit obsessive to keep myself tidy and doing things the right way. And But that was just me as a person. And I think it goes back to getting any good habits when you're a kid. When you, Especially in football, you had to have the player's boots under under his, under his seat in the morning. Whether, and it'd be maybe two or three sets of boots. Having doing those duties really instills a bit of discipline because when you're 16, 17, you're not a footballer. You're you're nearly there. You're you're, you're living the dream in terms of your full time, but you're not a, you're not a full footballer yet until you you're established in the first team. But those traits help you become a bit a better footballer because it it instills work work rate discipline. So having that there, um, and then just pushing them through, making sure that you're picking the right the right players and. Because you don't want to let players go every year or a massive amount. There will also be, a, be some that need to need to go because they're not quite developing as as what what you thought. But it's ultimately, it's try to help people help help players. Some see if a player can say a, a player goes through an academy and doesn't make it. See as a coach if you can say I've made you a better person and a better player because not everybody can make it. We all know that. But if I made you a better person and I've we've all done our best to try and make you as good a player as possible and it's not worked out then it's not much more you can do because you've tried your best and that's what I always say to players no matter what age give it your best if it doesn't work out then then you've gave it everything you've gave it absolutely everything and that's something that I would certainly instill in a young player is give it absolutely everything work hard listen I think it, it's a massive thing you need to listen to your coaches you need to give them respect um, and if the, if the coach you want coaches to help you through the whole journey, ask questions. You know. No, I love it. And just just to finish off, do you think there's anything that we can do to increase the numbers that are making it in terms of it's you know it's down at like one percent now, or do you think it's just because that's the type of industry it's in, and because it's football, it gets highlighted more than. I don't know, musicians or people going to university that don't then go into a job that their field is, has been studied in? Yeah, I mean, it's... I mean, the only players that I played with through my 16, 17, 18, my, my, my YTS, I think I'm the only one that's still playing professionally. Now, listen, some of the players I played with, David Clarkson, who had a great career, went down south, played on a national level, and then he finished earlier because of his, his injuries. But... I only played with two or, th- two or three players went on a, a really established career but it's it's very difficult it is a very very difficult industry because every day 
I, I might be your mate, I might be your best mate in the dressing room, but I'm me and you are up against each other trying to make it. You know, and that's where it's, I'm not saying that that gets to that stops the relationships, but everybody knows in the back of their mind, I need to be better than him. I need to be better than the person sitting next to me, whether it's a, a female or a, a female and a male. So it's just like <laughs> it's a team sport, but it's also individually as well. So it's, it's such a difficult, but it's, it's, it's difficult because there's a lot of more foreign players in the game now. There's a, there's, there's people go down south for, for players to bring in. What you you want you want to see players getting pushed through into the first team, and it might be at a time where it's coming towards the end of the season. Hearts have done it. They brought a few players in for the, for the young lads um, a couple of weeks ago for the, for the end of the season because they'd already won the league and it's about doing that at the right time because it is a pressure environment and the man, in terms of being a manager, the average manager is only in, in, in a management post for a year. So it's very difficult to bring those players through and and succeed because if you do it and you don't, you're out, you're out the door. So it's very difficult I mean, I go back to my Queen of the South days and we had a really good, I go back to 2013-14 season, we brought a lot of young players through that had played by the 18s and we were together for three years. I was a senior player at that point. I was maybe 26, 27, if you want to call that senior. I don't know. But uh, we had players that were maybe 18, 19, 20 at that point, going into 21. They played with Queens for three years and for the likes of example, Ian Shane, Kevin Holt, Mark Dunnan, Gavin Riley, Dan Carmichael all went to a Premier League club on the back of the 2015 season. And I think they were around about 21 years old. So that was where Queen of South had that real generation of good players coming through. And there have been a club at Queen of South have not had that success since then, you know. And it's so it's difficult. We've had, we had at that at that point, we had the right players at the right club at the right time. So it's all about time and it's all about luck because I was by no means the best player at my age, but I worked hard, I listened, I wanted to be better, I wanted to improve, but I also got a bit of luck as well. And that's what you need in football. You need a bit of luck in football. And in terms of youth players, excuse me, youth players at Cooney South, those players had a bit of luck because we actually get relegated, they get pushed through the first team and done well. So they got a bit of luck for there. So it's just about having a bit of luck and being in the right place in the right time. And you get the opportunity go and do well, express yourself and be hungry to improve. Yeah, I love it. It's, it's why we love it, isn't it? We could talk on long about it, but I'm going to wrap us up there. Thank you um, for coming on. I'm, uh, I've just sat and listened no at times and take notes. Sometimes we've almost forgotten to ask questions, actually. I've just <laughs> so roped in, but, but Chris, thank you very much for coming on. No, no worries, Johnny. Mm-hmm.